Good morning. It's been so long since I've been here. I feel like I need to reintroduce myself. Hi, I'm Steve Mitchells. How are you? Uh, also, if I haven't shaken hands with you this morning, I have this nasty head cold. So you don't want to shake hands with me. All right. So, um, <clears throat> but uh, just want to say thank you as a church family. Pam and I would like to just thank all the prayers and uh, condolences and cards uh, in the loss of my mom. If you haven't heard that, my mom passed away two weeks ago. We had to run back to Wisconsin on short notice to get there. And um, deeply appreciated being prayed for while we were there. We knew people were praying, and it just makes all the difference in the world. So that was fantastic, and we want to say thank you. Also, I want to thank Shannon. He had to pick the last two weeks up on real short notice. And uh, basically, we bought a one-way ticket, and I said, uh, we're going. We don't know what's up, and we don't know how long we'll be there. So... You probably need to take the next two weeks and do that. And uh, he did a great job. <laughs> he got the really fun topics, um, sin and hell, and then divorce. I get the rich young man today. It's awesome. But uh, he just did a great job, and I deeply appreciate that. Also, it's the first of the month, and if you're new to Northview and you haven't been here, on the first of the month is, uh, the first Sunday of the month is when we celebrate communion together. Normally, I'll wear a tie. That's your cue that we're heading towards communion. And uh, it's an open communion and that if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate with us. But um, one of the things when it comes to communion, often we can come rolling in on a Sunday and see Steve wearing a tango. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right, communion. Ah, you know, right? We haven't, weren't aware of it, weren't thinking about it, hadn't given it much thought, and we kind of just come blasting in on that deal. One of the things we know is we're supposed to prepare our hearts that uh, we get ready before we come to the Lord uh, to get right with Him before we take communion together. And so I thought it would be good to do this morning. I thought, let's just stop. What the Word says is uh, just look at your life over the last week, the last month. How have you been doing? How are you and Jesus, how's that going? And uh, it's a great place to confess, to repent, to get our hearts right. Uh, before we come to the table. So this morning, I'm going to invite us to do that. Let's just spend a season here in prayer, and then I'll uh, close us in prayer when we're done with that. So before the Lord, how has it gone? Lord, it's a good thing to stop and just before you. We know your word's very clear that you know the hearts of every person. We don't, but you do. And none of us stand before you clean or righteous in our own goodness this morning. Clothe us with your your Son and his righteousness through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Forgive us, wash us, cleanse us. Come enter into communion with us today. We hope to hear from you today. Not just with the symbols, but with your presence. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right.
Well, we're in Mark, so grab your Bibles. Uh, We're in Mark chapter 10. We're continuing in our study of the Gospel of Mark. And uh, this morning is the story of the rich young man. And it starts in verse 17, and it goes like this. As he was setting out on his journey, and remember at this point, Jesus has done his Galilean ministry. Then they went up to Caesarea Philippi. And that's where he asked the disciples, who do people say I am? Then they came back down through. And now it says he is heading, he set his face towards Jerusalem. So as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing, go, sell all that you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, He went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. This story is one of the all-time classics in Scripture. It's it's one that's uh, known far and wide. Even non-believers know about this story. So let's go through it together. And, and pull some pieces out that will help us this morning as we head towards communion. All right. Starting out in verse 7, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept since my youth. In the Gospel of Luke, we find uh, this young man called the rich young ruler. Right? That's the title most of us are familiar with here in Mark. It calls it the rich young man. And the story breaks into sections that will be good for us to uh, walk through as we move towards communion this morning. So the first section is in two parts, all right? So we've got two parts. Let's just set up the first part. The first thing that should be noted is that the young man felt what 
could best be described as some kind of inner compulsion. Something was pushing them. Something wasn't quite right on the inside. It was, we would say something was off, right? It was, wasn't tracking quite right. Despite an impeccable life, uh, Jesus lists off all the commandments and he says, uh, all these I've kept from my youth. Something is bugging him and he can't shake that. How do we know that? Well, we know that from the way he approached Jesus. Um, there's two things that he does. And by the way, both of these are right things. Okay? He's doing something right. And in the doing something right, he finds himself in crisis. Have you ever found that? you ever thought, that, hey, if I just obey the Lord, everything will go good and I'll never be in crisis? We have a pretty good category for if I sin, I'm going to be in crisis, right? We've kind of experienced that and done that and gone, okay, we know how that one works. But we don't have as a good a category um, for if I do the right thing, I'm going to be in crisis. It says this, it says he ran to Jesus. Notice uh, running implies urgency, right? If I'm running to something, I have to get there in a hurry. It doesn't say he was sashaying or dawdling. He wasn't taking his time. He wasn't walking or moseying towards Jesus, right? It says he was running. You like those old words in there, right? That's pretty good, sashaying. I was back in Wisconsin. A lot of them came back, sorry. And, uh, but it says he ran to Jesus. And so he runs to him, and then as he's running to him, it says that he ran and knelt before Jesus. And we kind of go, well, yeah, oh, sure. I mean, of course he knelt. I mean, it's, it's a Bible story. Doesn't everybody in the Bible kneel? That kind of thing. But I want you to notice how, how unusual this is. Um, but let me show you how uncommon this is, just out of your own experience. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you ran to someone and knelt before them? Or saw someone do that? See, we, we don't, wow, I don't think I've ever seen that, right? I was back home and, of course, we we're in the Catholic Church and the, my training, I was an altar boy at 18 and I'll get into one part of the Mass and boom, the kneelers come out and there I was kneeling, right? Most of the families look at me like, you dork, what are you doing, right? And, and I'm like, oh, I just, this is what you do, right? And um, I thought, you know, I don't, I don't kneel very often. Um, but here it is, this guy is kneeling. It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of deference. It's a sign of acknowledgement. Notice his introduction. What does he say? Good teacher. So he runs up and kneels and says, good teacher. Don't know if he was looking at him or not, but good teacher. And, um, and Jesus says in his own inimitable style, he comes back with a question. You ever ask God a question? He comes back with a question, right? That's kind of God's way of doing it. And uh, he says, why do you call me good? Only God's good. It's on the same level as when he asked his disciples, well, who do people say that I am? In essence, what he's saying to this young man is, are you saying that I'm God? Jesus is instantly creating both a question and a crisis at the same time. You're going, well, how, how is it a crisis? Well, here comes the crisis. Look what it says. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. 
What an invitation. He can be part of the inner group. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. This is deeper than just a question. It says Jesus looking at him loved him. This is personal. There's a connection between this young man and Jesus. It gives every indication that they've met before, and I'll tell you why later when we get to the end of the message. And he, Jesus, zeroes in with deadly accuracy as only he can do, right? We kind of put up all kinds of smoke screens, and Jesus just goes, bing, right? Puts his finger right on it. And he deals in with deadly accuracy and nails the bullseye of the resistant point in this young man's heart. You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have, give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven and come. Follow me. Let's just pause for a second and and do some thinking together. Jesus' call to follow him is universal. Every person on this planet is called to follow him. All right? And we know that. But the points of resistance to that call are individual. All of us have different resistance points. What's hard for some of us is easy for the rest of us. What's easy for the rest of us is hard for some of us. Right? It's not all the same battle. We have certain resistance points that are specific to us. And Jesus knows how to point those out. This is what he was doing with this young man. If you read through the Gospels, uh, and I know a number of us have, one of the things that's really astonishing is Jesus doesn't use a formula when he talks to people. When he's talking about the, when he's talking about the Gospel, he approaches them in different ways. Uh, remember the woman at the well? What did he say to the woman at the well? Right? Go get your husband. She said, well, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, well, what you've just said is true. You've had five, and the guy you're with now isn't your husband either. How'd you like your stuff blown up on the screen like that, right? But that's how he approached her. Nicodemus, what did he say to Nicodemus? Nicodemus, you must be born again. He's a teacher, a ruler. He's an older man. He's part of the ruling class. He's part of the Sanhedrin. He's one of the teachers of Israel. And Jesus says, you must be born again. You've got to start over. Just what was Nicodemus hanging his hat on? All his accomplishments, his credentials. He had all the certificates hanging up in his home of, you know, the synagogue and all the things he's accomplished. Jesus said, you've got to be born again. Zacchaeus, what did he say to Zacchaeus? He didn't say anything significant. He said, hey, come down for I, I have to have dinner at your house tonight. What was significant that was said is what was murmured and rumored in the crowd around him because Zacchaeus got really excited and as he ran towards Jesus. All the crowd went, wow, Jesus is messed up. Does he know who this guy is? He's a filthy pig. He's a tax collector. He's awful. He's terrible. And how could he invite a guy like that to go have dinner together? And Zacchaeus, reacting to Jesus standing there and reacting to what's being said in the crowd, says, Lord, if I have stolen, I'll give back, or I will give back half. I will give half of all my possessions to the poor. And if I've stolen from anybody, I will pay it back fourfold. He repented on the spot, not from even anything Jesus said. He repented on the spot from what the people were saying about him. How about, how about the, the man at the well? Here's a guy. Think about this. He'd been laying there, it says, 38 years. 
Some of you haven't even been alive 38 years. For some of us, that would be three quarters of our life. He laid in this spot. And Jesus comes up to him and what does he say to him? Would you like to get well? Duh. Right? What kind of question is that? And Jesus is trying to get him to focus on him instead of the water because Jesus is the source of this man's healing, not the pool that everybody gets into before they go. And, and then likewise with this y- rich young man, what does he say? Go sell everything, give it to the poor, come follow me. There's a tendency to overamp and, and to think it's wrong to have any possessions. Okay? And that's simply not true because uh, Jesus had people in his entourage who had possessions and they used it to minister to Jesus uh, as he held his ministry. So there's nothing inherently wrong with possessions. Um, but you can come away with this story thinking, I need to sell everything uh, I have just to be right with Jesus. Uh, and as a matter of fact, it is passages like this that have led many to vows of poverty and met, led many to really incredibly godly lifestyles. Francis of Assisi would be one of them, right? Who was a rich young man himself, read this story, saw himself in the story, gave away all his family riches and went on to do all kinds of incredible things for the kingdom of Jesus. <clears throat> but does that mean it has to be for everybody? Like you're sitting and going, oh my goodness, I need to get on offer up as soon as this service is over. Right? Obviously, that's an overreaction. Right? But if you swing the pendulum too far and come too far the other way, it's also uh, in error. Jesus, the saying is, only said this to the rich young ruler, so obviously it can't be applied to anybody else. Right? Wrong. Don't you think this parable has something to say in the culture we live in with us as Americans who have so much stuff that we can't even keep it in our houses? We have storage units, some two, three, four storage units to keep all our stuff. That it's very easy to get hooked on my worth, my value, who I am is measured by the possessions I have, the car I drive, the house I live in, the stuff I have, not in my relationship with Jesus. Obviously, there's a point there. And this may be the exact point that the Holy Spirit is talking to someone this morning about. The possessions have become an idol. What's the balance point? Well, the Bible and Jesus have a great deal to say about stewardship, finances, honoring God. We aren't going to go into all of that this morning. But specifically for this morning, it speaks directly to those of us who value our bank account more than we value Jesus. Where we look at those numbers and we go, I'm secure because I have those numbers. No, you're not secure because you have those numbers. You're a steward who has those numbers and you're supposed to know how to use them wisely. You're secure because you have Jesus. And if you trade Jesus for these numbers, that's a bad trade. Right? The rich young ruler says, He was dejected. He looked down and he walked away. He was sad. Why? He really wanted to follow Jesus. But he didn't want to give up his stuff. And that could be the fulcrum point that is working right now this morning. This was the rich young ruler's point of resistance. Notice outwardly, this guy was a model citizen. I mean, if he walked in our church, he'd be a great guy. 
Come on in. We like you. We got a capital campaign. You got money. Awesome. Pay it off. Right? He, he was a model citizen. He looked not only godly, but he looked quite blessed. In Jewish thought, as well as in American thought, it goes something like this. Rich people have been uniquely blessed by God. And if you're poor, well, you must have sinned. So get right with God and get blessed. But Jesus never has been impressed with outward show or um, mere conformity to a set of rules. He goes inside. Jesus always starts from the inside. And when he went inside this guy, even though he loved him, he saw an idol. He saw something that was going to come between the relationship, this guy's relationship and him. He saw something that was going to block that and he put his finger right on it. This was this man's particular stumbling block and point of resistance. And this, <coughs> excuse me. And this is why he was doing all these things right in a right way, and still didn't feel he was close to God or had eternal life. That's why he had to come up and ask the question. Outward drapings do not make for security of heart. And this is also why he went away disheartened and was sad. He wasn't willing to trust Jesus and step up to the plate. To let go of what he perceived security to be and to grasp what God perceived security to be. And so Jesus uses that moment as a teaching moment with the disciples. And it says, And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. The reason they were astonished is for the stuff we've already been talking about. The text says they were amazed. They were like, what? That, that can't be true. Because in their mind's eye perspective, rich people were people that God blessed. Think through the Old Testament. Think through Jewish history. Think about the biblical characters that you know. Abraham. We know Abraham was tremendously wealthy and blessed of God, right? Uh, David, King David. Solomon, right? All these, they had a picture of that and it was the rich person has been blessed that's obviously the people who are going to heaven and so when jesus said how difficult it is for rich people to get it they're like it just scrambled their brains like yeah didn't make any sense and here's the thing and if they're the blessed ones and they can't get in how's anybody get in wow but jesus is pointing out is that you can't buy your way into heaven. You can't purchase heaven with money. Also, you can't take your stuff with you when you go. There's the old joke of you never see a hearse followed by a U-Haul. Right? Once you're gone, it all goes, right? Somewhere to somebody, you don't take it with you. And so God's just saying, use it wisely. We are stewards, not owners. The only way through heaven was through him. It is, as the Bible calls it, the narrow way. And it just got really narrow for everybody he was talking to right here. And this guy's path was being blocked by his love of his riches. He loved Jesus. He, he ran up to Jesus, but he also loved his stuff. And the question is, which love would win out? 
And he chose the stuff instead of Jesus. Not realizing that Jesus was the creator of the stuff. The question this morning is, uh, you know, we know he walked away, right? Is there any hope for a person like this? More than that in just a minute. But to continue on, the disciples as resulted and still somewhat of shock, then asked this question. They were exceedingly astonished and said to him, well then who can be saved? How does this even work? Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Salvation is in, of, and through Jesus. Only God can save a person's soul. And the ransom of a soul is costly. It's not cheap. It was and is the price of God's only Son dying in our place and then rising from the dead. It's only through His name and placing faith in that name that we can be saved. That is the message of our church. If you want to know what it is we have to offer, we have this, Jesus and salvation in His name. That's what we've got. If you boil it all down, it is salvation. If you're looking for how to be saved, we can tell you that because it's in Jesus' name. That's what we've got. That's our big selling ticket. Okay? There's all the mystery removed from it. All the other stuff is window dressing to get us there. All right? Only God can save a person's soul. The only reason there's even a possibility of being saved is because God made the impossible possible through His Son, and there's no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. (coughs) Anyone can walk through that door, but it's the only door there is to walk through. (coughs) Excuse me. Peter picks up on this and points out what it costs them to follow Jesus because they just saw what happened. So Peter says this. He says, see, we've left everything and followed you. And he was right. If you remember the story, right? They were fishermen and apparently there were several boats so they were doing well fishing and Jesus came by and said, hey, come, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And it says they left the boats and followed him. So they gave up their, their business, their livelihood to follow Jesus. And Jesus' reply to Peter is this. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now, in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with, and what's the word up there? Persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now we could spend hours on this alone, but let's just pull two points for this morning, all right? Point number one, you cannot outgive God. That's what Jesus was saying. What, what the young man didn't realize is everything he had came from God. And if he recognized Jesus as God, he could give that stuff all up because if he needed it, God would give it back. And if he didn't need it, he'd be just fine. Okay? Sometimes we think we need stuff when we really don't. I don't know if you prayed any of those prayers and then uh, you know, God said no. Right? You believe he has the audacity to say that? He says no. I need that. No, you want that. Oh, okay. There's a difference there, right? But you can't outgive God. Stanley Kantz, when he led me to the Lord, he went through this whole thing. How much is 10% of uh, 10 cents? How much is 10% of a dollar? How much 10% of $10? How much 10% of $100? How much for a thousand? Went all the way up to a million, right? 
We got to the done. I was quite proud because I could actually get that far. I knew what 10% was. And, uh, and he said, no, Steve, he said, always give a little bit extra just so you can tell God you love him, not because you have to. And this is what he said. Because, Steve, you can never outgive God. So you can't outgive God. And so that's a very important place. Now, the question is not how much do I have to give? Not ever. That's never the question. The question is, how much do you want to be blessed? Right? It's not what do you have to give. That's law. It's how much do you want to be blessed? And if you're generous, you'll be greatly blessed by God. Now, in case you're concerned that I'm going all prosperity gospel on you, because I'm saying if you're generous to God, he'll be generous with you. Uh, let's highlight the second point. Second point is this. Jesus says, you'll be given all these things along with persecutions. Persecutions is part of the package. That's part of what we leave out when we lead people to Christ. By the way, if you accept Jesus, you might get persecuted for it. It could even potentially cost you your life. So are you ready to sign up? We kind of leave that part out, hope they get mature, that when they find that out, they won't freak out and run out the doors. But Jesus says you're going to run into persecutions. Just as the teacher was persecuted, so will the students be. Persecution is what I would call a sifting device that God uses to sift out the idols in our life. It's a mechanism he uses to sort through where our real loves lie. And he uses pressure. He uses heat. He uses persecutions to clarify that where he is on that scale. Paul in 2 Timothy reminds and reinforces this idea when he says, You, however, he's talking to Timothy, his young disciple, You, however, have followed my teaching, you've followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, you've seen my persecutions and suffering that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me read that again. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So it's not as if you accept Jesus, everything will be absolutely fantastic and rosy in your life, and you will never face any troubles. Sometimes having Jesus in your life and doing the right things actually creates the troubles that you never had before. That can be quite a shock to most of us. Which means we must be ready for persecutions. We have to be ready when it shifts and it comes our way. Peter says this when it does come our way. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Remember Jesus said, house and lands and all this with persecutions and in the end, what? Eternal life. Jesus says, don't get so locked down here that it's all going bad. Get locked in the fact that you're going to be able to inherit eternal life. And then he wraps it with this. But many who are first will be last in the last first. This just simply underlines the fact that what's great in man's eyes 
is abhorrent in God's eyes, and what is least esteemed in uh, man's eyes is greatly esteemed in the eyes of God. God's thoughts are not us thoughts. His ways are not our ways. What he thinks is great is not held in any kind of account by man. Um, just watch television. Right? And you get a picture of that right away. And, and what God holds in high view, man doesn't hold in high view at all. We're past that. Long, we don't need that anymore. The first will be last and the last will be first. The Bible indicates... We will be shocked and awed when all this plays out. When God rolls it out, we will be going, just like the disciples, we will be amazed. And so the rich young man, who looked like he really had it all, really had nothing at all. And the disciples, who looked like they had nothing at all, really had everything. Which camp are we in this morning. Remember the question I asked earlier, uh, and it went something like this, is there hope for such a person like this rich young man, this rich young ruler? Well, I want to suggest there is. As Jesus said, with God, all things are possible. And uh, I'm going to ask the uh, servers of communion, if you would begin now to go and do communion while we walk through this next point. Thanks for serving us and Appreciate that. Is there hope for a guy like this? And I want to tell you, there's always a way back to God. There's always a way to get back to Him. No matter how far you think you are from Him, there's always a way back. In this particular case, this rich young man, the, in Luke called the rich young rulers, many Bible scholars believe that this young man is none other than John Mark himself. John Mark is the writer of this gospel uh, that we're reading right now. John Mark's mother is Mary. Now, there's several Marys in the New Testament. One is Mary, the mother of Jesus. All right, that's one Mary. And then there's Mary Magdalene, Mary uh, that Jesus cast seven demons out of. So there's that Mary. And then, thank you, Lord. Dean. And then there's this other Mary. This other Mary is one of the women who followed Jesus around in his ministry. And it says that they actually helped uh, fund his ministry. So this Mary uh, has some means. We don't know how she came by them. But she was one of the women who attended Jesus during his earthly ministry. And she had a large house. So both she and as a result her son, this would be Mark, had means. And her house is where, if you go into the book of Acts, this is where we find the disciples and believers meeting for prayer before Pentecost when Peter's in prison and they all gather in that house. That's Mary's house that they gather in. Thus, John Mark would have had direct access to Jesus and his ministry because he would have heard the reports about him from who? His mom. Right? That's why he could run up to Jesus. He had heard the reports. They had spent time together. He had been around him. He was known to Jesus. Apparently, John Mark in the text, came to a saving faith after Jesus' resurrection. But his faith path was anything but a straight line. His kind of, you know how you think life goes A, B, C, D? His was more like this, right? John Mark was also a cousin to Barnabas. Barnabas is one of the great guys that shows up in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And thus when Paul and Barnabas left on their first missionary journey, uh, they took John Mark with them. 
And we don't know the circumstances. We don't know what happened. We don't have the back, like Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. But what we do know is that three quarters of the way through the trip, John Mark quit and went back home. And when it came time for the second missionary journey, Barnabas wanted to give John Mark another shot. Paul did not. Right? And it says their contention was so sharp between them that it says that they had a strong disagreement. Isn't that a polite way to put that? That was an all-out fight, right? But it was so strong that they went their separate ways. So Paul took Silas, and then Barnabas took John Mark. Now, from this point on, you never hear of Barnabas again in the text. He doesn't, he's gone. He doesn't show up anymore. But his encouragement and coaching of his cousin, John Mark, must have worked. Why do I say that? Well, because we find John Mark recovering again, winds up in Rome, becomes Peter's assistant, pulling together all of Peter's teachings, which we now know as the book or the gospel of Mark. And it's even more redemptive than that. Even Paul, towards the end of his life in ministry, says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. John Mark, who probably walked away from Jesus initially, made a comeback. John Mark, who went on the first missionary journey, bombed out three quarters away, bombed, and then came back. There was a way for John Mark to get back to Jesus. As we come to communion today, maybe Jesus has pointed out an idol in your heart. I don't know what it would be, but it's highly likely that he's been talking. And you're just really discouraged at this point. You're like, oh man, again? And you're up against that roadblock you've always hit and you're just bumping against it and going, man, is, is, there, a, is there a way back? Uh, you know, you've hit this wall time and time again only to fail. And I, I want to encourage you that there is. Let me tell you a story to encourage you. So, uh, you know, I just went home from my mom's death and funeral. And so Pam and I flew out of Seattle and uh, my sister Tracy in Portland flew out of Portland. And we ended up in O'Hare together. And uh, which is pretty amazing if you know the size of O'Hare. And, uh, and then we ended up on the same flight to Green Bay together. So that was kind of cool, right? There was, I was in aisle 11, Pam was in aisle 12, and Tracy was in aisle 13, so we had it covered, right? We had them there. And I came up to my seat, and I looked to us, and I, I was sitting next to one of these burly guys, you know, just had written all over him, don't talk to me, right? Kind of like, if you talk to me, I'll bite your head off, kind of look. Just mm, looking out the window and thought, but you know me, so I thought I'd ask him how he's doing. And so we're taught, I, I said to him, hey, I said, are you heading home? I thought, well, I'm heading home. Maybe he's heading home. Let's get a story going and find out where he's from. He said, no, 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 I'm from Florida. I said, oh, really? Well, we're in Florida. He said, the Tampa, St. Pete area. Oh, what do you do? And he says, well, I own a landscaping company. I have about 55 employees, about three managers. And I run the company. And I said, oh, well, what's, what's in Green Bay? He said, well, actually, I'm not going to Green Bay. He says, I'm going to Sturgeon Bay. And I said, oh, I know where that is. And he says, well, how do you know where that is? I said, I wrestled at Sturgeon Bay in high school. And I said, well, where's your property? He says, well, you know, if you go through town and go up. I said, yeah, and then you go past the lighthouse and that beach there. I used to fly fish for salmon. And I said, Bailey's Harbor, just north. I said, we used to troll a rapala and catch those big browns. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So here I, you know, have some things in common with the guy. So we're talking and, and, uh, he says, oh, which hardly ever happens to me. But this guy actually said, so what do you do for a living? Oh, right. 
I said, man, I don't really want to tell you. I said, we've been having a nice conversation. It's just going to wreck it. Okay. I, and he goes, no, no. No, I said, seriously, it's just going to kill the whole thing. He goes, come on, it can't be that bad. What, what do you do for a living? I said, well, I said, I'm a pastor in a church. He goes, awesome. I'm a sinner. Actual words. And I thought, that is a really strange way for somebody to introduce themselves. I thought, this guy knows something, right? So I, I bump him a little bit. Turns out this guy uh, grew up in the Green Bay area and that he had gone to an evangelical free church. He knew all about the Lord. He knew all about Scripture. He knew about worship. He knew about praise. He knew about church. He knew the whole nine yards. And he had walked miles from it. Okay? Uh, I didn't get all the details, but I'll guarantee you he had gone through hell in a handbasket doing all that stuff. You could see it on him. Uh, he was way younger than me, and he looked older than me. Okay? And, and he was pretty beat up. And so we sat there and talked. We quit talking for a while, and then all of a sudden he looks over at me, and he says, Hey, you got a card on you? A card? Oh, grab my, do I got a, you know? I didn't. I, who uses cards anymore? Man, come on. But I usually stuff some in my wallet and I had forgotten to. So I took a card out of my wallet that was one of my other buddy's cards. I said, look, this is a buddy of mine. Don't worry about him. But let me write my stuff on the back of the card. All right. So I'm writing with, I got a pen from Pam, the seat behind me. And I'm writing the stuff on the card and I gave it to him. And, and I said, no, here's the deal. I said, if you go to that website, that's Said this not to hook you or anything, but I said part of the intimidation factor may be that you know I'm the pastor, you're the sinner, so I'm the holy man, you're the dirt ball, and you know you just there's no way we can connect. So what you should do is go to our website, and I said two summers ago in 218, uh, August 19th, I shared my testimony at our church, and I said I did that because one of our speakers dropped through, so I was the I got voted to be the guy to do it, and so I shared my testimony. So you can listen to my life story. Listen to my life story, and then you can call me up, and we, us sinners can have a dialogue together, right? And he said, okay, I'll do that. Well, we got off of the plane and went to the baggage area, and Pam, uh, my nephew Brian picked up Pam and Tracy, and I was over there, and he came up to me after, and you could see him flicking that card, right? And he came up to me when I was waiting, and he says, thank you very much for talking to me. What, what just happened to that guy? He had hope. He had hope there was a way back. Right? There was a way back. And I want to suggest with Jesus, there's always a way back. There was a way back for John Mark. There was a way back for his mentor, Peter. Right? We know Peter's story. He botched it pretty bad. There was a way back for my friend Tim, who I met on the airplane. And there's a way back for me and you as well. Through Jesus, through faith in his life and death and resurrection, there's a way back. And what Jesus is saying to us this morning is, Stop looking at your idols. Look at me. Right? Saying this to me too. Stop looking at your idols. Look at me. What's communion designed to do? Get us to focus on him and what he did for us. That that's the biggest, the best, and there's nothing past that. That's what should be capturing our attention. Not all the other stuff that does. And communion is designed as an idol remover. It's to remind you the price tag of what it costs. For the salvation of a soul, your soul, my soul. Jesus said, this is a symbol of my body. This is what it cost me to stand in the gap for you. Got that picture? Eat this in memory of me.
And then Jesus took the cup and he said, This cup is shed for the remission of sins. Because of his shed blood, all, all, all our sins are covered. That is a tremendous gratefulness. Jesus said, drink this in memory of me. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. They're going to sing a song that's a a great song. And uh, many of you know it by heart, so you won't even have to work at it which is good because that will free you up. The song is Be Thou My Vision. And the question this morning is, is he? Is he? And if he's not, start making your way back. Start hooking back, just like John Mark had to do. Hook your way back, all right? Let's stand and let's worship together.